Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. If at the end of the loan, we're going to have to sell your Ferrari or your Lamborghini, that's the worst case scenario for us as a business. I mean, we don't want to sell people's goods. So I never wanted to set this business up and be a shopkeeper. People used to think, oh, well, a pawnbroker, you know, he's going to get his hands on my goods and he's going to sell it and there's going to be... That's not the case at all because once you sell an item, you've lost that client. Now, we spend hundreds of thousands on marketing to get these clients to come in with their goods. Welcome to How to Lend Money to Strangers. I'm your host, Brendan LaGrange, and today I'm discussing one of the more interesting business models we've covered. And if you don't believe me, just look for the Channel 4 documentary, Posh Porn, a behind-the-scenes look at today's guest, Prestige Porn Brokers. When I was a kid, porn shops were something you saw on TV shows, maybe a cop drama where somebody was trying to sell some stolen goods. And when I started working, at least in South Africa, they were never considered part of the formal lending economy. They were something I didn't really think about. Until, I guess, I moved to Asia. In Hong Kong, the red and green neon signs are iconic. But if I remember correctly, it was first in the Philippines that I actually encountered them as a potential data source, as a formal lending organization. But even then, I would have regarded them as lenders of last resort. What we're going to talk about today is a very different porn business. James Constantino and his team at Prestige Porn Brokers serve a very different clientele to the stereotypical. As we'll hear after the break, they're issuing loans against everything from helicopters to Lamborghinis to designer handbags. So stay tuned to hear about how to turn assets lying around into accessible cash and why consumers might want to do that instead of going to their bank. James, generally when I'm interviewing a leader in a lending business, they have a corporate background. Maybe they were in a bank, maybe they're a management consultant, but typically they wore a suit in an office for a while. Your background is very different to that. I don't wear a tie. You know, I'm sitting here today, I've got a pair of trainers on and a pair of jeans. I'm not from that field, if you like. It's not me. And that's probably why I come up with the concept of prestige. It came on the back, really, of the crash of 2008, Lehman Brothers, uh, banks tightening up lending, their criteria. Uh, I was in property development prior to that. I used to deal in classic cars. I sort of dabbled in a few things. I had friends that were into art. Another friend of mine was into wine. And I was sort of sitting there one Sunday, I was uh, reading the Times, and it was uh, there was an article about asset lending in America. And I thought, well, this is quite interesting. Yeah, you can go and borrow against your art and I just started thinking well look I've got quite a few skills if you like although academically I came away from school with 
zero because I was um, asked to leave at the age of 15. I had a lot of common sense. I've been wheeling and dealing since I was a kid. And I started thinking about the other assets that you could possibly lend. Why aren't people lending against cars or wine or boats or airplanes or pretty much anything? What, what restricts them? It really sort of started from there, to be honest with you. The bank's inability to function following 2008, they were pulling the rugs from under some really good people's feet, people that were halfway through development sites or having their loans pulled in. We were hearing stories of doom and gloom. You know, I had friends of mine that were playing golf with a bank manager the day before, but then the bank manager was calling them in the morning saying, listen, that 25 grand overdraft you've got is going to have to be repaid. And I thought, well, look, this is actually quite a good time to start this business because banks aren't lending. People can't get their hands on money, but they have had quite a few years of growth. They've all got, well, not all, but I'm from Surrey, but there's a lot of Range Rovers, Ferraris, people with you know expensive pieces of art, there were wine collections. Uh, wouldn't it be great if they could secure a loan using some of these assets? And that's really how it all started. Do you say your background's not typical of a, a banker or a lender in a similar way, prestige and pawnbroker together are not a natural pairing to, to most people, but you've really changed that game. You, you talk about art and wine and, and, and luxury cars. Acknowledging the fact that these assets exist, people have them, people want to keep them, and you can lend against them rather than forcing somebody to sell and, and rebuy. And you've obviously seen the market respond to that. So when we first thought about it, I was really more concerned about the contractual side, to be honest with you. How could I do this legally with a tight contract in the UK at low cost? And I thought, well, actually, pawnbroking is already set up. All we had to do is swap the word gold or fob watch for piece of art, basically, or Ferrari. And that's exactly what we did. I had the skill set around me. I mean, and if someone presents me with something, I like to think that I'd be able to value it most times. And that skill has been enhanced, for sure, with prestige and the volume of these assets that we've seen. Obviously, we consulted other experts, but they were quite keen to get involved as well, funny enough, because this was all a a new idea for them. So they were keen to help out. Going back to your point, I think the issue for us was actually getting the message out there, because people didn't know. When they saw prestige pawnbrokers above my little shop in Weybridge, they didn't really know what it meant. They knew it meant prestige, it was high-end pawnbroking, but they didn't understand the asset classes that we were talking about, getting that message out there. And it was key to our success. The BBC World News, for example, did a feature on us. So one show, we were featured in The Times. So once the press got hold of it, and it was quite topical, that helped uh, sort of gather pace, if you like. And then obviously uh, Channel 4 commissioning the TV show Bosch Form propelled us into another stratosphere in, in that respect. Yeah, and no, we'll, we'll pick up on that because I've got hooked on it while uh, doing some research. It's a really great show. But before we get there, I think you, know, you talk about the message, and I think it's one that would be the first reaction to anyone listening now for the first time. And they might say, well, why would somebody who owns a Ferrari need to pawn it, need a loan against it? Wouldn't they just have cash lying around? You know, it was the first reaction I had. But then I remembered, you know, <laughs> I've been doing share-backed loans for ages. You know, you want to People have a share portfolio. They want to keep the shares. They think they're going to grow in value, but they want to use them as security. You've mentioned in the States, you know, various forms of asset-backed lending. As you said in your intro, this is not all that different. This is just 
I guess, working around that heritage of the name pawnbrokers and getting people to understand that it's not maybe what they think it is. When a borrower comes in, when somebody wants to pawn an item for a loan, what is that process like? And from your experience, obviously, everyone has a different story, but why are these customers coming to you for a loan rather than using savings or going to a bank? Yeah, it was quite surprising to to me at the beginning, but when the wheels fall off and the cogs stop turning, your business has dried up, you're not making as many sales, the high street is empty, whatever it is, you need cash. Regardless of whether you've got a Ferrari, you still need to put petrol in the same way as everyone else. It's very rare for people in business to have millions of pounds sitting around in a bank as a reserve. I don't think that is a realistic way to function, and I don't believe that there's many, many millionaires and entrepreneurs that sit on cash in that way, to be honest with you. You talked about the the show on Channel 4, and I think it is really, well, it's an entertaining show in its own right. But, you know, you realize that some of these assets are sentimental, things that if you sold, you would never get back. Or they're appreciating collector's items that go up in value. So, you know, again, you don't want to resell and have to buy again later. But what I also noticed is a lot of entrepreneurs coming in, a lot of people who've got a new business venture. And so i you probably are dealing with a lot of people with your sort of attitude, wheelers and dealers and, and entrepreneurs. Are you seeing a lot of that? Are you seeing a lot of people using this money to get the next business going? Or what are the sort of stories you're, you're hearing about? It's quite broad in that respect in terms of what the money is used for. We do see average shows come in looking for a little bit of sometimes it's spending money, sometimes it's their car's blown up or they need servicing. So you get all the average type of things you might expect or associate with pawnbroking. But what I think the TV show and our marketing has done has made the public or entrepreneurs or business people aware that there are alternatives to the bank. You don't have to go to the bank for a loan. I mean, a lot of these people might not qualify for a loan, to be quite honest with you, in some cases. But even the ones that do, by the time you have to wait for the answer from the banks, quite often the deal's passed or it's over or the emergency or the need for that funding is gone. What we can do and what we can offer and why we score so highly is that we can offer large sums of money almost instantly secured against your assets without any risk to your credit rating. You can bring in your Ferrari or your Lamborghini or your piece of art or your gold bullion or your wine collection to us. We can forward you 100000 or 200000 or 500000 pounds if you've got the right documentation, you can have funds within 24 hours. There's no minimum term for these loans. There are no arrangement fees. There's no redemption fees. To borrow 100 grand or 200 grand from the bank, your arrangement fee is probably going to be somewhere between five and 10,000 pounds straight away. You're probably not going to be able to have that facility just for one or two months. You know, I'm not saying it's wrong. Or it's right. I'm just saying there's other fees to consider when you're going to borrow money from a bank. For short-term funding, borrowing from me is far cheaper than borrowing money off a bank. If you want to borrow a hundred grand from me, I'd probably do it. I mean, it varies depending on what you're presenting to, but I'd probably do it at two point nine percent. If you borrow a hundred thousand pounds of me at two point nine percent, and you have it for a month or two, I don't know of any other cheaper borrowing than that in the world. And it, it allows you to take that risk. You can say, I believe in my idea so much that I'm going to put this up and I believe it's going to work. I'm going to get my asset back and I'm going to be better off for it. And if it fails, well, 
that was the risk I took. But nobody else is going to let you take that risk. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Yeah, as you said, there's some very mundane reasons as well, but when I saw it in that context of entrepreneurship, it did help change that mindset of mine. In some ways, I see echoes of this big move towards buy now, pay later. So credit card, your whole balance would get paid down minimum. Now I can say, I just want this pair of sneakers paid down, just tiny little transactions, but you can choose. I want exactly this transaction to be paid down. And in some ways, you're doing that with assets. In a world without pawnbrokers and without a bank willing to take a gamble on you, mortgage your house. You might not want to risk your whole house, but nobody was going to see these individual assets. And I imagine because it's very difficult, well, you've used your network, you said going in and your skills to solve that problem and say, well, if I can understand the value of all these many, many types of assets from watches to handbags, to wine, to art, to, to helicopters and airplanes and tanks, if I can find a way to understand their value, then I can lend against that individual asset. It doesn't need to be a house. But on that how do you go about that valuing such a wider range uh, of assets and in, you know, in asset classes that aren't always traded that heavily? Well, obviously, uh, when they're not traded that heavily, it does make the valuation process more difficult for, for sure. I mean, but these assets didn't just come out of thin air. They've got a history. If it's a piece of modern art, it's probably more difficult to ascertain the value than, you know, one of the great masters. But it's not as difficult as people might think. You can go online, you can track the record of sales. There's graphs and peaks available to see what their works have done over the years. But when it comes to authentication, that's a different matter. Then that's probably the most difficult part of what we do. And the actual valuation process. If you're of a mindset and your team are of that mindset, then you can pretty much value anything. Bear in mind that we have, we've been established since like 2008. We've probably got the best minds and the best people in our company out there. We've got people who've worked for all the big auction houses, from some of the famous brands, from Rolex to Cartier to Chanel. That's quite useful to me that we've grown in that way. And now we've got 10 stores across the country and 40 experts that are well-versed in handling these goods. So the valuation part of it may be not quite as difficult for us as you might think because of the expertise that we've actually got on board. At the beginning, I can't deny it. You know, we were winging it a little bit and <laughs> my bum did twitch on occasion. <laughs> but 
I like it. If it was that safe, I would probably wouldn't be that interested in it. I actually like the idea of having something presented to us that we've never seen before. We've, we've had some of these assets, I mean, stuff that we've never even heard of, never even thought existed, and we've seen it. We've thought, what are we going to do with this? But, you know, when you've got good people around you, that's been an asset to us for sure. He had a prototype airplane. I've seen you with a tank, uh, the helicopter, you know, a sword engraved by a sultan. It's certainly what makes it interesting to to watch from the outside. People have these family heirlooms. They have these unique items. It's even more important for them to have a, an option other than selling it. That's really where um, the pawnbroking business is a, the only solution, I guess, for, for many of these unique scenarios. But while each one is unique on its own, you know, across a country with 50 or 60 million people, there's quite a lot of unique stories around there, which I guess you've uh, created as your, your niche. Yes, there are people out there that are sentimentally attached to items. We do come across those people. We've heard it all, to be honest with you. There's some wonderful assets come through. There's some incredible stories. A lot of times, though, I mean, they're, they're high-end items that we see. are not They're not always sentimentally attached, to be quite honest with you. If it's a car, for example, I mean, if you look, if at the end of the loan, we're going to have to sell your Ferrari or your Lamborghini, then... Yes, you can go out and buy another one at a later date. If your business takes off or your circumstances change, then you can replace that. But there are clients out there that are sentimentally attached to them. They're not, you know, it's not commonplace, but they do exist. And for us as a business, I mean, we don't want to sell people's goods. So I never wanted to set this business up and be a shopkeeper. That's not why I went into the market. The worst case scenario for me is to be selling someone's goods we don't want to do that. It's not good business for us at all. I mean, I think that there's a misconception or it used to be that people used to think, oh, well, a pawnbroker, you know, he's going to get his hands on my goods and he's going to sell it. And there's, that's not the case at all. Because if once you sell an item, you've lost that client. Now, we spend thousands and thousands of pounds, hundreds of thousands on marketing to get these clients to come in with their goods. If they bring their goods into me and they haven't repaid their loan, and I have to go to market with it, I've basically lost a client. There's no benefit from, for me to sell their goods. It's actually a negative for me as a business because we're earning on the interest. That's what it's all about. It's all about the interest. When we go to market, we will return any balance that's due past what's owed to us. So if someone borrows 100 grand, at the end of the loan, they owe 130 grand and, and the goods make 150 or 200 grand, the client always gets the balance back. That's quite important because we don't ever own the property. We're custodians of the goods and we facilitate the sale. And we've got a duty of care to make sure that the items sell for the best price. I mean, luckily, we don't go to market with that many goods. Percentage-wise, it's relatively small. I'm glad you brought that up because one of the questions I had was how you turn kind of the value of the asset into a loan. But with having that balance back to you, it removes a lot of that risk. You don't have to think, well, either way, my, my diamond rings on the line. I better take the full 100,000. You can be comfortable taking the 20,000 you need because if it falls apart, you're getting that back. Yeah, I mean, generally, we lend up to 70% of a market value. When we talk about market value, this is what is a little bit of a tough pill for some people to swallow. When they think of the value, they think of the value of when they bought it in Bond Street you know, I bought this for my wife. It costs 100 grand. I only want to borrow 90,000. 
the value is the second-hand value, what the market determines that to be. So if your £100,000 diamond ring would sell at one of the big four auction houses at 50 grand, we would only really be able to lend you up to 30, 35,000 maximum against that title. Some of these assets you can't sell immediately. We've had pieces of art where we've contacted some of the big auction houses and they've said, well, look, unfortunately, that piece of art needs to go to Hong Kong and the Hong Kong sale isn't till next year. So you've got to factor all that in when you're presenting your loan because every month that goes past, you're incurring another cost and you're also loading the client up with that as well because the cost of borrowing doesn't stop until the item's sold. In terms of the number, anyway, that you, the, the client receives, you've got to factor all that in. The desirability, the saleability, depreciation is another big point. Gold fluctuates, it goes up, you know, depending on what's going on globally, it might come down. But we've got to figure all this in. It's maybe not quite as simple as I made out of the beginning. But... You're listening to How to Lend Money to Strangers with Brendan LaGrange. If you're enjoying it, now is a great time to hit that little plus button to subscribe. Yeah, and I think the the only downside or the question that I have in my mind when I look at that model where the asset is so inherent in the loan, but when we think of customer loyalty and customers coming back to you over and over, how do you try and incorporate sort of rewards for customer loyalty within this model that it, that still has the the main question being the asset? Are there ways for you to adjust the percentage of a loan or other terms for customers you know well? Yeah, I mean, the client is really key to that. In respect of the rate and the deal that we can cut for a client, uh, we might be able to bend it a little bit more favorably towards them if they've got a history of repaying their loans back. And I can see, well, look, they bought it against this piece of art last year. They paid it back and they were only had it for two months and then they bought it in again and they paid I'll be thinking, well, actually, if they want a little bit more this time, I can probably lend them a little bit because they're very likely to come in and pay back. They obviously attach to this item. They want it back. If you don't pay your bank loan and you've ended up in, you know, with a CCJ, you're very unlikely to be able to walk back into that bank and borrow more money. It's not quite like that with us, but if someone didn't repay their loan back to me and they we sold their goods, I wouldn't refuse them another loan. I'd open the door to them. So the next time I saw them, and we'd, we'd treat that loan as a totally different thing. And uh, it's wholly about the asset, like you said at the beginning. But, well, let's talk about stolen goods, because you mentioned those at the beginning. We almost never can think of one item, I think, over the years that I've been trading that the police came in and wanted to talk to me about. Because of our criteria in terms of the ID checks that we do, the passport, the driving license, we take images of people to put on their uh, profiles. If you're fencing some stolen goods, you're not going to come in and see me, to be honest. You know, they'd be putting themselves at risk in terms of uh, using me as a method of disposing of stolen goods. Going back to the authenticity of legitimate goods, it's been a learning curve, that's for sure. I mean, there's some amazing fake items out there right now, some of these super fakes. As I said to you before, we've got a wealth of experience on board now, but you've really got to still be careful. We had someone come in, probably about six months ago, with a handbag. They got a Chanel handbag, and they'd faked a receipt from Harrods. The bag was amazing. It was absolutely incredible. But one of our guys said, this receipt doesn't quite feel right to me. And we started looking at it in more depth, and sure enough, it turned out to not be correct. So 
you get a feel for the client. There was a guy who came in, and he came in with a piece of art. It was very dapper, super posh, and he had a Bentley parked across the road. And I thought, this guy just doesn't feel right. And they said, well, no, he's, you know, he's got, have you seen his car? Have you looked across? I said, yeah. I said, but when was the last time you were able to park outside in the spire there? You have to wait all day to find a spot there. He must have been sitting around the corner looking for us, waiting for a space to appear in order for us to be able to see his car from the shop window. So all these little telltale signs, what feel do we have for this client? What feel do we have about the story about this asset, where it came from, the information they're giving you? Are they giving it to you freely? Does it sound plausible? There's all that. And then the last thing, obviously, is the physical item. Let's get this looked at. Let's get it under the microscope. Let's call in other experts. It's some, in some cases, external experts that might be able to give us a second opinion. So there's lots of processes in place, but the first port of call is the client themselves and is their story plausible. Yeah, and it's great to hear there's still that role for the human intuition, you know, the, the expert's eye. There's a lot to learn, I think, or a lot of insights in there for traditional lenders as well as they look to go you know, fully online, everything via an app. You do have branches where you talk to people face-to-face. You are you know, looking to solve their problems, and people respond to that. And you know, it's obviously not a model that works for everywhere, and there's mass uh, market models that will be cheaper for the banks to roll out. But there's still this value in understanding people's lives. You know, you're not going out there to say, what's the cheapest way for me to give everybody a £1,000 loan? It's actually, how, you know, how can I get all the pitfalls out the way? Uh, to allow people to leverage these assets they already have short term. So, yeah, thank you very much. As we've mentioned a few times, you, you've got the TV show. Uh, it was a Channel 4 and uh, Posh Porn out there where people can can watch. I think <laughs> my own opinion is worth watching just for the sake of entertainment, but certainly gives a nice insight into what asset-backed lending can do uh, for consumers. For anybody else who's interested in, well, potentially uh, working with you, potentially using you to access some credit or just to learn more about prestige porn brokers, where is the best way they can do that? Where can they go to look for some more information? Well, you can go online at prestigepornbrokers.co.uk, so you can find us on there. Um, physically, we've got 10 stores, but if you look at the website, uh, Prestige Porn Brokers, then you'll find us and look at our locations. Um, there's lots of guys out there pretending to be us so be careful not to pick up on one of them there's lots of people are using the Google ad terms and uh, sort of trying to emulate what we do but if you go to prestigepornbrokers.co.uk you'll find this you can you know we've got an app as well Posh Porn app they get on on their telephone they take a picture of a, a watch or could be an antique or a chair or a piece of art and they've got the instant interaction with us, which is great. So every day we see dozens and dozens of app inquiries and images coming through. Um, so there's, yeah, we're not we're not difficult to find for sure, Brendan. Yeah, we've got the lending side of it, which is, I guess, what you're focusing on. Obviously, we've got the retail side of the business. Although we are known as pawnbrokers, we obviously are uh, one of the UK's biggest buyers of second-hand luxury goods, which is from our stores and online. We saw massive growth in that during the pandemic. Basically, online sales just gone through the roof, to be quite honest with you. It's been astonishing. We've sold more during the pandemic months than any other time in our history. So that's quite interesting because I know the pandemic's been quite devastating for some people, 
for a lot of people that were not self-employed or didn't have their own businesses, they were actually were financially best off. There's no doubt about it. We saw large chunks of the loan book being paid back. We're seeing it growing now the other way uh, because all those governmental or a lot of the governmental schemes have come to an end. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that because you know, we talked about verification and the risks involved there. You've built this team up that has this rare mix of skills across so many different asset classes. You've clearly also then been able to turn that into a general way to create trust. So there's trends as well about being more sustainable, doing more or reusing of, of goods. So it fits that trend nicely, but also just, yeah, I'm sure people at home during the pandemic, cleaning out their houses, you know, nothing else to do in those first few months, finding things they forgot they had, realizing they don't need it. It's a way to turn that into some cash when I'm not sure most people would know how to, you know, if, if I wanted to sell one of my watches, where would I do it? I don't know. And you've created um, you know, another way to where people can leverage that um, expertise your team's built up. It's so simple to use. And I think people, when you're right, when they've been sitting there, maybe at home during the pandemic, they've had a little clear out, they've gone in their drawers and thought, you know what, there's a little gold chain there or an old Rolex. I wonder what that's worth. And then they've looked on the app store and think, well, there's posh pull now. Yeah, and it takes that stress out because... It's a bit like when you get your car serviced and the mechanic will pull out something you've never seen before and tell you, yeah, this costs five grand to get a new one in the shop under pressure. Whereas if you can do it at home, you don't have the embarrassment of going in and somebody saying, well, that's worth five pounds. It's, you know, it's mass market. You can see what it is. You can see if you're comfortable with the price and you can Google around and see, yeah, okay, this seems, this seems like a good deal. James, thank you so much. It's been really interesting. Yeah, lovely. Good to speak to you, Brendan. Thank you a lot. That's great. And thank you all for listening. This has been How to Lend Money to Strangers with Brendan LaGrange. If you're enjoying the content, please do subscribe. It really does help the show. And like and share the content on LinkedIn. While you're there, send me a connection request. The show is written, recorded, and edited by myself, Brendan LaGrange. Show music is by I Am Wake. And full written transcripts and more content can always be found at www.howtolendmoneytostrangers.com. Dot show and I'll see you again next Thursday. you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.